If you have a Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. So today we're starting off Holy Week um, with Palm Sunday. And the thing about Holy Week, it, for me at least, um, and I think for most Christians, is it gives us an opportunity each and every year to reconnect, to re-review, to re-look at the, the passion narrative, which is Christianese for the, the time, the week before leading up to uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, it seems like every single year that I, I get into the Word and I study it for Easter um, not only for sermon preparation, but the years before I was actually preaching, I would uh, take some time and study. And I, it always helped me appreciate the gospel story even more because I always found something new or I would remember something that I had forgotten. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, we, we take this week, we take next Sunday as a celebration of our hope. The hope that uh, we have in Christ, that he was crucified for our sins. He took the punishment. He took our place. But then three days later, he rose from the grave. But this last part of his journey here on earth started with Palm Sunday. Now, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have uh, Palm Sunday in the Passion narrative. But we're going to primarily be looking at Luke's version, Luke's gospel when it comes to Palm Sunday. But we're going to be pulling from others as well. So not everything that we talk about today is coming from Luke's. I'm trying to pull from the other ones, but just so I'm not reading the uh, Palm Sunday story four times over, we're going to be looking at Luke. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? The Lord's need it, or say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put, it, put Jesus on it. And he went along spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the highest heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to, the, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to reconnect with your word, to reconnect with your story. Lord, this time, this season that happens every single year renews our hope that we have in you. It reminds us of all that you really went through so that we could stand here today and preach
so that we could stand here today and share all of the good things that you're doing in our life and that we could have a close relationship with you simply because you decided to come. You decided to live. You stepped down from your throne. You stepped down from all of your glory and honor to be humbled and to be crucified, only to rise again days later. Thank you for all that you're doing in, the, in this church and in our life. And Lord, just help us to receive your message today. Open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears. And Lord, speak to us as you always do. Lord, speak through me so that people hear, they don't hear what, what Pastor Logan has to say about this and Pastor Logan's thoughts, but that they hear your truth spoken to them directly to their heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus and his disciples, most of you, if you've been in church for a while, you know this story, but I'm going to remind you anyways. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus sends two of his disciples up ahead. He says, go on ahead and find this donkey or this colt, as the NIV will put it, and there, here's your instructions. When you find it, find the one that's never been ridden before, untie it, and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, just say, the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. They, they find this colt, they untie it. The owners are like, what are you doing? Like, that's ours. Don't take that. And they said, the Lord needs it. And they let him take it. And they, they bring it to Jesus. They put some cloaks on as like a, a, a saddle, a makeshift backcountry saddle, just a few coats that they put on top of it. They had Jesus go on top. And as he's coming in, People are throwing their, their cloaks, their, their outer garments, their, their jackets, their coats. They're putting it all on the ground. And they're, they're praising God, saying, blessed is the king, calling Jesus a king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Now, the book of Matthew and John will mention that these people also cut off branches from a tree. And John clarifies that these are palm branches, which hence the name Palm Sunday. And they lay them on the ground, crying out, Hosanna. And the translation of Hosanna is, or save now. Now, if you've been in church around Easter, you probably know this story, that even though Jesus would come as a king, like a king to the people, them putting their coats down and laying palm branches down is like the modern day of rolling out the red carpet for this king to come for this royalty so that no dirt can touch them, but it's all just out of royalty and respect and honor towards Jesus. But even though they would do this today, a few days later, those same people would put him on trial and cry out, crucify him. Their hosannas would turn into crucify. Now, it seems like such a drastic change in such a short period of time, doesn't it? Right, just a, just a few days, they go from praising Jesus and, and loving Jesus and treating Jesus like the king, treating Jesus even like the Messiah. And just a few days later, they're saying, crucify him. People, they knew. They knew of these miracles. They had heard about these miracles. Some probably even experienced the healing and the miracles that, of Jesus. And their cry of Hosanna indicated that they believed that he was probably the Messiah. That he was the one that was uh, prophesied in the Old Testament to come and save them from Rome. 
save them from their enemies. So they are crying out, Jesus, save us. Because Rome's not really treating the Jewish people very fairly. They're saying, save us from this. We believe that you can. We believe that you will. So save us. They're crying out, Hosanna. But I had this question come into my mind when I was studying. What changed? That was it. That was just the only question. So I had to go figure it out. What changed? Now, I've read this story a lot. I've, I've read it. I've read all of the teachings that happened. And I know that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. That's pretty obvious throughout the entire gospel story. From, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end, the Pharisees hated this guy. They hated Jesus. And they had constantly plotted to kill him. So I, I understand the Pharisees' motive. They were, by, by affirming what Jesus said, they were going to lose their power and influence. Because Jesus was saying, no, you're not higher. You're on the same level as everyone else because you're just as involved in sin. Even though you've been following the law better than anyone else, you're still just involved in sin and you're still just as guilty before God. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and the Sanhedrin, they would lose their power and influence. So to keep that power and influence, they had to reject Jesus. So yeah, I I get that. but and, And I know that leaders and even spiritual leaders can be very influential on people, on what they believe. But I really think that something deeper because I, I mean I've I've watched church leadership happen because I was a pastor's kid I've now experiencing it and I know just because there's a leader that's appointed over a congregation does not mean that the congregation is going to agree with him right so there's something deeper there's not one Pharisee that's going to have so much power and influence to influence an entire community of people to say we got to crucify this guy Something changed in the people. And it ultimately left the people wanting Barabbas instead of Jesus. It was the people that shouted crucify at the end. But there's a few days between Palm Sunday and the day that he, which we recognize as Friday, the day that he's betrayed and put on the cross. And he does just a few things. He does a lot of teaching. And he does this one thing which happens almost first in every single account except for John. But he clears the temple. So this story, um, some of you might know it. I'm going to remind you anyways, just in case you don't. The story is Jesus walks into the temple in Jerusalem and sees them selling things for profit. Now, likely what these were were um, tables that were set up to sell um, sacrifices. So they were selling doves. They were selling lambs. And the whole motive behind it was that it would raise money for the temple so that the temple could do whatever it wanted to and would leave the people less accountable. Because now people don't have to bring their best lamb forward. They don't have to bring their best forward. They just can go to the temple and buy it. So they get to keep their best. They get to keep their first fruits because all they're going to have to do is just buy whatever first fruits the temple's offering. And you can see the disconnect that's happening. Well, Jesus walks in. He sees this happening. And this is just where he goes like, he turns into the Hulk and just like starts flipping tables all over the place and is jumping all around and, and clearing off the tables 
And this is the one time that we see Jesus act very, very angry, like almost rageful. And he says to them, he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Now, after he clears out the table, he teaches in some parables. One of these parables is the parable of the two sons, which explains that there's a father who has a vineyard, and he tells both of his sons to go and work. The one son says, I'm not going to go work. A little bit later, he changes his mind, and he starts to work. The other son, he walks up, and he says, I need you to go work in the vineyard. And the son says, I'm going to go work in the vineyard for you. And then he never does. And Jesus uses this as an illustration to say, don't say that you're going to work if you're not going to. In fact, he even looks at the Pharisees and looks at the people and says, there are tax collectors and prostitutes that are going to enter the kingdom of God before you do. There's some harsh words coming from Jesus. But what he's saying is that the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all of these people that were downcast in society that even though they rejected God first, they're now choosing to work for God. They're now choosing to do what God has called them to do. So they will enter the kingdom of God. But the Pharisees and most of the people in the Jewish community, he's saying, you've told and you've talked about you're going to go and do work, but you haven't done anything yet. So until you get up and start going and doing the work, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And he calls them out for being a little apathetic and lazy. Jesus also teaches this parable of the tenants, which illustrate the wrath of God for those who reject his son. And he's also confronted about taxes, like some spies are sent in to try and trap him, to give him or give the Roman government a reason to arrest him. And so they ask him, they're like, well, Jesus, do we have to pay taxes? Because if we're truly devoted to the Lord, then we should just be giving everything to the Lord, not to Caesar, not to the Roman government. Now, Jesus recognizes that this is a trap, and he says what we often look at when we're talking about tithes, is he says this, he saw their duplicity, and he said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, shortly after that, uh, in, I believe it's the Ma or in Matthew's gospel, he talks about the widow's offering. And this other, or this thing that he's seeing happen in the temple courts. Everyone's walking through and they're putting their money, they're putting large amounts of money in the, in the collection plate. And this woman, this widow, is poor, and she puts just a few things, which would be like putting in a penny for us, less than a penny, and put it, puts it in there. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you see, she put in more than the rest of them because she gave everything that she had. Even though it was a little, she gave everything that she had. So I care more about that penny than all these hundreds of dollars that are going in there because they're giving out of their wealth. They could give a lot more, but they're choosing not to. She's given everything that she has. Now, after this, he goes into the temple and starts giving these, these seven woes to the Pharisees. Now, across the Gospels, not all of them mention the seven woes, but there's always a warning to the Pharisees, a warning against hypocrisy, which is uh, focused on the Pharisees. And basically, throughout this, he's calling out their corruption. He's calling out that, 
you know, you've been trying to have all this power, control, and influence, and that's not what you're supposed to be doing. There's a lot of corruption that's happening, so he calls them out on him. Later, he talks about the destruction of the temple, how the temple that they were going in that represented the presence of God was going to be destroyed. And that toward, and he starts talking about the end times. These teachings, including some that I didn't mention, there's, there's a lot more teachings in there as you read, so this is your sign to go and study this week and look and read them. I, can't, I, don't, I don't have time to mention all of them. These teachings changed something in the people. It changed something. You see, where they loved him and welcomed him and treated him like royalty, after they spent a little bit of time with Jesus, their character was revealed. They didn't really want to follow him. They wanted the miracles. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't really want the relationship. And as Jesus looked into their heart and called them to repent, saying some harsh things to them, they cried for him to be crucified. And that's exactly what happens today. People want their answers prayer, or their, their prayers answered, but they don't want to pray. People want God to fix everything that they messed up, but they don't want to put in any of the work. People want the benefits of God's love, but they refuse to actually love God. People want the healing, but they don't want to be devoted to anything. And here's what happens all too often. I, I see it all the time. Jesus enters a person's life in a moment of desperation. Now, they've heard from a Christian friend or from their mom or their dad, if they are a Christian, like they, they know that Jesus can do miracles. They know that God can do miracles in their life. They've seen it. They've heard about it. And in this moment of desperation, when trauma hits, when financial problems happen, when emergency situations happen, what do we do? We're, we're like, please, Lord, help them. Save them, right? We cry out, Hosanna. Now, what I see a lot of people do who aren't believing, in, uh, they're non-believers, so say, please, Lord, if you're really out there, if you really exist, if you do this one thing for me, then I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want to. I'll go to church all the time. I'll whatever you want. I'll follow you. I'll believe in you. I'll do it. Just please help me. And we cry out, Hosanna. We cry out, save me. And then when everything goes to plan, when everything starts to work out, when the person that we pray for is healed, when the miracle that we're asking for is given to us, everything goes so great. But Jesus isn't just interested in being a little genie in the bottle to grant every wish that you have. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion. He wants your love. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to show you the life abundant that he promises you that only comes from following him. So he wants you to follow him. And when you welcome him into your life, your heart and your body becomes his temple, his dwelling place. And if we truly believe that we are broken by the sins that we've committed, then certainly Christ will come into our temple and clear out some things. He'll come into our life and remove the bad, 
unholy, unrighteous things so that we can be made holy before God. And in this process, it's painful. Sometimes it's even shocking. I know there's been times in my life where God has done this. He's come into my life and he started clearing out some tables. There's a, a, a former friend of mine in high school that whenever Chloe and I started dating, and she knows exactly who it is, so I'm not going to mention any names, but she knows. Um, but when we started dating, this friend started trying to get in between us, tried to pit us against each other. And for the longest time, God was trying to remove that person because that person was sent to destroy me. Now, I truly believe that now. But what happened was Jesus would turn over the table and say, no, I have to protect this friendship because I'm the only Christian in their life. And I'd walk, by, well, I'd walk away and he'd flip the table again. I'd be like, no, 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 I, I can't. I'm the, I, if I give up on this person now, they may never come to know you. And I'd pick up the table again. And it seemed like every time that I walked just a little bit away from the table, God would flip it again. And eventually what I came to the conclusion was, that person doesn't need you. They need me. Not me, me. There, there we go. That's, that's better hand signals. <laughs> right? They need, they need the Lord. They don't need you. Someone else. I'll send someone else to go. But they don't need you. And once I, I let that table stay down, once I allowed it to, to continue to stay down, Chloe's relationship started to flourish. But until that moment, we were struggling. Just because something's being cleared in your life, maybe it is a friend, maybe it, it's even a family member that's being destructive. Maybe it's your job, right? Maybe it's a responsibility that you have. Maybe it's a pastime. When you want to start picking up the tables, he's gonna say to you, I removed those things for a purpose. They were sent to destroy you. They are leading you away from me. Leave them behind and seek me through prayer. Make your house, make your life a life of prayer so that you can still pray for them. You can still pray for those things, but don't rob yourself of something so much better. When you start losing your devotion to prayer and studying scripture, he reminds you of the parable of the two sons. He says, don't, don't say that you're gonna follow me if you're not gonna act like it. Right, You can talk all day long and say that you're a Christian, but if you don't act like it, then you're not. So don't fall into the same trap as the, as the second son that's mentioned where he says, I'm gonna follow you, and then I don't. I would rather you reject me first and then accept me because at least you're accepting me. At least you're doing what I've called you to do. And remember, just like the parable of the tenants, anyone who rejects me will experience the wrath of God, so don't allow yourselves to be one of them. Don't refuse to do the good that I've called you to do, going back to your destructive ways. And like the denarius has the image of Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But as it says in the book of Genesis, you were created in the image and likeness of God, which means that you bear the image of God. 
So if the denarius has the image of Caesar and you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, your life bears the image of God. So give your life to him. Give it all to God and be just like the widow who gave everything that she had, even though it was just a little bit, even though it wasn't much, give everything to me. Give your all. If you don't want to change, if you don't want to give your all, if you don't want to do what God's called you to do, and you'd rather sit in church week in and week out without doing anything, then you'll be the same one that says crucify him a few days later. See, when you sin, you say crucify him. When you don't make time for him because you're too busy, you say crucify him. When you're lazy, you say crucify him. When you prioritize the things of the world, you say crucify him. Because when you put anything before God, you are saying to God, I want this thing more than you. So if it comes down to you two, I'd rather crucify you than to lose this thing. That's a harsh way of saying it, but this is the truth of it. Now that's the bad news. Because all of us do this. We're all just like the Jewish people that at times in our life, we say crucify him. Right, because I'd rather have my job. Right, if you think that doesn't happen to pastors, then you're wrong. Some pastors say, I'd rather have my ministry and my platform and my ability to preach than to have Christ in my life. So crucify Christ so that I can keep my platform, so that I can keep my ministry. Right, some of you, you're, you're saying, I'd rather have this thing, I'd rather have this person, I'd rather have my spouse, I'd rather have my kids than to have Christ in my life. So if it comes down between God and my spouse and God and my kids, I'm going to choose my kids. So crucify my Lord and Savior. We always fall short. Our priorities aren't always there. We get caught up in the busyness of life. But even though we say crucify him, I got some good news for you. In Exodus chapter 12 is the story of Moses and the Israelites and it's during the, the plagues of Egypt. And they're trying to get out of Egypt and God gives them this instruction. As plagues are going throughout Egypt, he says in verse three of chapter 12, tell the whole community of Israel that on the day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share it with the nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people that are there, you should determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, that you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all of the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. On day 10, they're to take the unblemished male lambs, bring them all together, and take care of them. But on the 14th day, all of the members of the community of Israel must slaughter those lambs and put the blood on the doorpost and, and like all around the doorpost so that the angel of death who is coming to kill all of the firstborn sons will pass over those households. Now this part, this story that happens in Exodus would later become known as the yearly celebration called Passover. 
which just happens to be the same thing, the same feast, the same celebration that Jesus was walking into on a donkey on Palm Sunday. And the Jews would welcome their lamb in, welcome him in to only a few days later slaughter him. I say that to show you that Jesus knew. He knew that they would say crucify. I imagine as he was riding on that donkey, seeing all of the people give him praise, he says, I know, I know what's coming because it happened in Exodus. And I'm the better lamb. And so as I'm walking through, I know that it will become crucify. but I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise again. So as you say, crucify him through your actions, Christ already knew that you were going to. He already heard you cry crucify before you were even born. But Christ has come and he's lived and he died and he rose again and he's still living today so that you can turn your crucify him back into a Hosanna. If you remember, Hosanna means save us. It means, that means following Christ is going to come with the cost. You're going to have to give up life. You're going to have to break off some unhealthy and unholy things in your life. And you will have to continually die to your old self every single day. So every single day, let you be saying and screaming out in your heart, Hosanna, I don't need just saved yesterday. I need saved today too. And it will be hard, but it will be worth it. Because when you walk in life abundantly, you'll see that life with Christ, even though it's hard, it's so much better than you can imagine. So much better than anything this world can give you. And you're invited to live that life. All you have to do is follow him. Follow him to the ends of the earth. Follow him to wherever he leads you. So don't wait. If you're not already following him, follow him today. If you are following him, invite someone to follow him with you.